Well, we'll continue on in our study through the Gospel of John, and we are still in John chapter 3. So if you don't already have your Bibles open there, I encourage you to go ahead and open them up to John chapter 3. And today we should be able to finish up with chapter 3. But uh, last time we studied up through verse 21, so we'll go ahead and pick it up in verse 22 today. And In our studies thus far, we've looked at the journey of Jesus, his mother and his disciples, and um, how they've gone from a wedding in Cana where Jesus turned water to wine and on down to the seaside town of Capernaum and then on back up to to Jerusalem for the Passover feast where we've seen uh, Jesus cleanse the temple and then have a nighttime meeting with a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus to whom he explains uh, what it means to be born again. Now, the group of them, minus Mary it seems, are going to be moving on to another area and we see here that verse 22 says, After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now, like I said, at this point, the Apostle John no longer mentions Mary as being part of the group. And really, the last time we've seen her mentioned as being part of this crew is when they left Cana and journeyed down to Capernaum. So whether she stayed in Capernaum and is not traveling with with them anymore. We really don't know. But here it just says that Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. And uh, it says that he remained with them and baptized. But if you look ahead to chapter 4, let's go ahead and turn up to chapter 4, verse 2. It says that Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples did. Now, is that an important point at this time? I don't know, but it is important that we don't take Scripture out of context, but we search and study the whole counsel of the Word of God. And this is just an example of doing that. But now they're in the land of Judea, and his disciples are baptizing. And go ahead and flip back to verse 23 of chapter um, 3. If you're not already there, it says, Now John also was baptized in, in Anan near Salem, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. So not only was the disciples of Jesus baptizing, But John is still doing his baptism thing as well. But there's something here in this verse that I think is pretty cool. And that is that it states that the reason that John was baptizing in this area was because there was much water there. So it wasn't because he fasted and prayed and heard the voice of the Lord. But the reason he was baptizing in Anan was simply because There was much water there. And I point that out because what this spoke to me is that oftentimes we can overanalyze things. And we can spend months and months trying to figure out if God wants us to be somewhere or to be doing a certain thing or not. But the reason that John was baptizing was because there was much water there. You see, 
If there is a desire in your heart to do something good, then just do it. We don't have to wait for a supernatural experience to motivate us. Simply trust God and do that thing that is good in your heart that you want to do, and it's right there in front of you and you have the opportunity to do it. If it's good, then James 1.17 says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. We need to be careful of just sitting around and becoming idle. We all have gifts and talents that can be used for God's glory, so don't spend too much time wondering if God wants you to do this or that. If you have a desire and it's, and it's good and opportunity is right in front of you, then just do it. If you know someone that has a need and you have the ability to do something about it, then step out in faith and help that person. John said, hey, there's much water here, and he baptized. He's going to do what he was called to do because there was the opportunity right in front, in front of him. You know, if you're Joe the plumber, then use your gift and go plumb something. If you're Bob the builder, then go build something. Whatever it is, whatever your gift, step out and use it for the glory of God. But anyway... What we're also seeing here between verses 22 and 23 is that we seem to have two similar ministries taking place at the same time. The disciples of Jesus are baptizing in one area, and John was baptizing in another area. But remember what John's ministry was. He did not want followers of his own. John was constantly deflecting the attention away from himself and pointing people to Jesus. But for a period of time, his ministry would overlap the ministry of Jesus. John would eventually be thrown into prison. But at this point in time, verse 24 says, For John had not yet been thrown into prison. But people, being the way they are, they want to try and find conflict. It happens all the time. God calls someone to step out and to start something new, and rumors begin to fly. Jealousy comes in and says, how come he's doing that? Why is he doing that right over there? You see, some people love to gossip, and they love to stir up problems. And we're about to see that happen here in verse 25. It says, then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. So people are starting to debate with one another here about something. And they're, they're going to debate with one another about the topic of purification. Now, purification was a big thing with the Jews. And if you turn to Mark chapter 7, just a couple of books before the Gospel of John here, Mark chapter 7. We're going to see here that Jesus is again being approached by the religious leaders, and they will confront him on the same issue, the issue of purification. So John chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they wash 
their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups and pitchers, copper vessels and couches. So not only did they wash the utensils they ate with ceremonially, but they also washed the tables and chairs. And and these, they did this, excuse me, between each course of the meal. Verse 5 says, Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. You see, the natural thing for mankind to do is to turn to the things that per or excuse me, to turn the things that pertain to God into things of religion. And this issue of purification was a hot topic for the Jews. And their thought was that if Jesus is from God, then he and anyone who names God's name ought to be doing things in accordance with their law. But Jesus points out to these Pharisees that we cannot reject the command of God just to keep our traditions. And we won't know the commands of God if we don't read his word personally. Do you see that? If we have someone else read the word for us, like a pastor or something, then we just believe whatever they tell us, then we are just following in the traditions of men. Be careful not to create your own religion by just following the teachings of man. The Lord looks at us as individuals, and he is looking at our hearts. And that's why Jesus quoted Isaiah here and said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. We've got to be careful of that. We all have a personal relationship with Jesus, and his Holy Spirit is the one that teaches us all things. Turn, if you will, to 1 John chapter 2. For the back of your Bibles, you'll find 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 2. You see, if we're not careful, we can get caught up in following the doctrines of man and be deceived. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 26. It says, These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. You see, if we are staying focused on Jesus and on his word, We won't get caught up in the doctrines and the traditions of men. In this chapter of 1 John here, 
the Apostle John is warning us to be aware of false teachers that he calls little Antichrist. Someday the real Antichrist will come on the scene, but today there are many Antichrists on the earth teaching false doctrines and deceiving many. Look back at verse 18 of this same chapter here. It says, Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. So be cautious of what you hear. The book of Acts in chapter 17 describes a group of people that were from an area called Berea. And it says of them that they were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. And that's how we all need to be. Searching the scriptures daily and finding out the truth about the Lord and His desire for us. The Bereans didn't just listen to the teaching of Paul and receive it. They checked it out for themselves. And turning back to John chapter 3, these Jews were stirring up trouble with John's disciples over the religious doctrine of purification. And they go back to John himself with this problem. And in verse 26 of John chapter 3, it says, They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. Why don't they come to our Bible study? Why don't they do things the way we do? Why don't they take their church and go farther away? That's just my ad lib to all that. But these people are just trying to stir up trouble. They're just whining. They want their group to have the corner on the market. But John knows his calling. He isn't going to fall for this. And he tells them in verse 27, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. That's a key verse. And you see, when it comes to ministering in the name of Jesus, there's no such thing as competition. And each one of us needs to realize that fact in our own lives. We can receive nothing unless it has been given to us from heaven. God has a specific plan and a purpose for each one of us. No matter what road your life has traveled, you are an individual to God. You are someone that He cares about more than you can imagine, and you don't need to envy or be concerned about what He is doing in the life of someone else. You just need to rest in the fact that He sees your life, and He wants what is good for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. God has a unique plan for each one of us. 
You have a gifting and a personality that God desires to use. We don't need to walk around comparing ourselves to others. When we compare ourselves with others, it only undermines what we are doing and causes us to attack others. We don't keep our eyes on the things that, that we God has given to us. Instead, we start looking out toward others and we begin to attack them. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Um, it says in verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. So Paul is pointing out here the very same thing that John pointed out. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. And Paul says that that neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God gives the increase. You see, we just need to trust God with our own lives and quietly allow him to use us as he sees fit, and also allow him to use others as he sees fit. And turning back to John chapter 3, we see that John doesn't fall into the trap of trying to compare himself to Jesus. And he responds to these men in verse 28 by saying to them, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. So John points them right back to what he said in chapter 1. And in essence, he is telling them, Don't compare me to Jesus. He's far greater than me. And if you remember, John said that he didn't even consider himself worthy to loosen the sandal straps of Jesus. He was simply on this earth to fulfill his calling. And his calling was to point people to Jesus. And he goes on to say in verse 29, He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. This verse is so awesome to me. John gives an example of what we would call today the best man in a wedding. If this best man is truly the best friend of the groom, and he loves the groom, he's going to be real happy for the groom as he hears him commit himself to his bride. 
And John is saying here that his joy is fulfilled by hearing the voice of Jesus. And do you know that the first time that John came into the presence of Jesus is when they were both in the womb of their mothers? Luke chapter 1 verse 41 tells us that John leapt in his mother Elizabeth's womb when Mary came to visit with Jesus in her womb. And here John is saying that he still gets joy when he hears the voice of the Lord. And he will once again deflect the attention off of himself and say to them in verse 30, He must increase, but I must decrease. Are our hearts in that place today? Are we not satisfied unless we are hearing his voice? On a daily basis, are we humbled to the point of saying, He must increase, but I must decrease. And whether you're a baby Christian like John was a baby in the womb of his mother Elizabeth, or you're a grown-up Christian, the joy of hearing the voice of the Lord should never change. You see, John understands who Jesus is. And in verse 31, he says, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. You see, John realizes and points it out to these guys that he didn't come down from heaven. Jesus did. John says to them, I am of the earth. The best thing I can tell you is earthly things. Jesus is from above and is above all. So you need to listen to his voice. And what, verse 32, and what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. Isn't that sad? No one receives his testimony. How many people say things like, I want to follow the Lord, but I'll do it later in life. Or, I know Jesus loves me, but I want to have fun and party. Or, I want to have joy when I hear his voice, but my bills and my troubles are just too many. I want to read his word and pray more often, but I just can't find the time. You see, it's easy to shun the testimony and the word of the Lord. But John had the right perspective. There are seven words that if we take to heart will impact our lives tremendously. And those seven words are, He must increase, but I must decrease. We have to be careful to not allow ourselves to fall into the trap of being self-centered, creating our religion and following the ways of man. This will lead us to a place of comparing ourselves to others and eventually having a woe-is-me attitude or beginning to reach out and attack others for what they have or where they are or what ministry the Lord's using them in. And John goes on to say in verses 33 and 34, He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. You see, Jesus did not have the Spirit by measure, meaning that he wasn't like the prophets of old or like those who speak in his name today. 
You know, as I sit here and teach the Bible, I do so knowing that I really know very, very little. The Bible says that we know in part and prophesy in part. But when Jesus speaks, he speaks with complete authority. And we've studied that he was God in the flesh, so therefore the words he was speaking was the very word of God. He wasn't partially God, he was fully God. Let's look again at uh, another scripture. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. You see, by the grace of God, you do have at least one spiritual gift. And you do have the ability to minister in his name. And verse 10 of 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability with which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, in other words, use the ability that God has given specifically to you. Don't compare yourself to others. God is the one who whom by His grace supplies to you the ability to do what He desires for you to do. Not everyone is called to be a pastor or a teacher. Some have to be butchers, bakers, and candlestick stick makers. But when you do that, whatever it is that is your vocation in life, when you do that which He desires to you for you to do, do it all for His glory. Whatever you do, whatever your vocation in life, you can do it all for the glory of God. He wants to be first in your life. It's not about your church or your religious duties. God wants to be first in every aspect of your life. And John the Baptist has given an awesome example of that in these verses back in John chapter 3. And he's pointing out to these men that came to him with envy regarding the ministry of Jesus, the fact that Jesus is above all else. And John continues on in verse 35, John chapter 3, verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, for the wrath of God abides on him. You see, Ephesians 1.10 says that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he, God that is, might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So everything belongs to Jesus. And he is all that mankind needs. And when we come to him, we not only receive eternal life, but we have everlasting life. And that everlasting life begins the moment we believe in him. So if you've repented and turned from the love of this world and believed in Jesus by placing your trust in him, 
then you are right now living that everlasting life. But on the other hand, those that still love this world and have not turned to Jesus, the wrath of God abides on them. You see, people are not condemned because of their sin. They're only condemned because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, as we study in verse 18 of this chapter. And if you turn up a couple chapters to John chapter 5, verse 24, John 5, 24, it says that, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. That's a wonderful fact, isn't it? And it's awesome to see the humility of John the Baptist, realizing his purpose and glorifying God while fulfilling his purpose. He didn't consider himself to be great though Jesus said he was. John just lived his life pointing people to Jesus, allowing those seven words, he must increase, but I must decrease, to guide him along life's way. And here again, is that where our hearts are today? It's easy to get there, but it requires absolute surrender. God loves you. Jesus died for you. And he simply wants you to place your complete trust in him. It's as simple as that. Whether you've given your life to the Lord yet or whether you've been walking with the Lord 30 years, wherever you are, don't make this to be about you. Don't make it to be about your religion or your philosophies or your way of doing things. Just focus your life completely on Jesus. Make everything you do glorifying to God. Set your heart in that place where you desire to see Christ increase and you decrease. See, because otherwise our flesh just gets in the way and we begin like we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, to act like mere men. In other words, men and women that are not filled with the Holy Spirit. And we begin to, to look out at what others, others are doing in their ministry, like we saw here with uh, them disputing with one another. We begin to look out and we begin to try and stir up strife, you know, if we're not careful. All of us can fall into that. Anytime we take our eyes off of Jesus and we put them on the things of this world, we can get off track. It can happen today to me, it can happen tomorrow, whenever. But we just need to put our lives humbly every day in that spot where we realize that we need to look unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith. He must increase. We must decrease. God bless you guys. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.